0: Hello, I am Judge Sang Hyun-Song from South Korea, a judge and the president of Appeals Division of the International Criminal Court. Today, I would like to take up, uh, in my view, the most important uh, issue uh, in connection with the uh, ICC operation, that is, participation of victims at the International Criminal Court. The establishment of the International Criminal Court has been praised as one of the most important developments in international law and relations in recent years. The promise of international justice that was made with the trials in Nuremberg and Tokyo after the Second World War has now been fulfilled. A permanent international court has been built with jurisdiction to try those who have committed most heinous crimes that are of concern to the international community as a whole. Since the adoption of the ICC statute at the Diplomatic Conference in Rome in the summer of 1998, the ICC has developed into a full-fledged and operative international institution that employs several hundred uh, people. The Court's Office of the Prosecutor is investigating crimes in respect of several situation countries with a view to prosecuting those who bear responsibility for gruesome atrocities. Today, however, I do not want to talk about the perpetrators of the crimes under the ICC jurisdiction. Instead, I would like to address the role that victims have under the Rome Statute. In Nuremberg and Tokyo, this role was limited to that of witnesses. The ad hoc tribunals of the United Nations, the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia, and the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda, have followed the same approach. In comparison to the previously uh, discussed jurisdictions, the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court has strengthened the role of victims. In this lecture, I would like to take up some of the issues related to the participation of victims and present you with my perspective on them. As you know, as a judge of the Appeals Chamber, I have participated in some of the decisions and judgment that I will mention. In this lecture, however, I will not be speaking for the Appeals Chamber. I will express my own views, which may not necessarily uh, reflect the views of all my colleagues. This lecture consists of seven parts. In the first two parts, I want to talk about the question of victim's participation in criminal proceedings, both on the domestic level and in the international context. I then will address Article 68, Paragraph 3 of the Rome Statute, the central provision of victim's participation. Part 4 is dedicated to the definition of, of a term victim, while Part 5 deals with application procedure. In Part 6, I, I shall talk about the manner of participation. Finally, the Part 7 discusses other forms of victim's participation under the Rome Statute. In the course of this lecture, I will not talk about another related topic, namely the question of reparations to victims. Let me start by uh, discussing the domestic dimensions of victim's participation. First of all, one has to stress that not all states have the same approach to the role of victims in criminal procedure. This explains why it took some time before victims were allowed to participate in the international criminal system. To illustrate these different kinds of approaches, one can refer to the French and German legislation on the one hand and to the common law on the other hand. In both the French and German jurisdictions, victims have traditionally a broad role in the criminal process. In France, the system of the Parti Civil enables victims of crimes to join criminal proceedings as a civil party in in principle to recover civil damages suffered as a result of the crime. The participating victim is considered to be a full-fledged party of a criminal trial, whose rights are in many respects the same as or similar to the rights of the prosecution and of the accused person. Although the theoretical basis of the participation of victims uh, in, in France is their civil claim for damages, Uh, In reality, their interest in participating in the criminal proceedings may not be the desire to receive monetary reparations, but to see the perpetrator brought to justice. French jurisprudence has accepted the participation of a civil party, even if the damages sought were for the symbolic sum of one euro. Unlike in France where the participation of victims have a long history, the codes of criminal procedures of several German states of the 19th uh, century generally did not provide for participatory rights of victims in respect of criminal proceedings. This changed only in the end of the 19th century with the adoption of the Imperial Code of Criminal Procedure. Under certain conditions, victims of crimes were given the opportunity to participate in criminal proceedings as auxiliary prosecutors, with procedural rights similar to those of the prosecution. Victims now could also pursue their civil claims in the course of criminal proceedings. The right of victims to become auxiliary prosecutors was seen as a means to control the activities of the prosecution service, which was part of the executive branch of the government and under the direction of the Ministry of Justice. In many domestic jurisdictions, in particular, those of the common law family, victims do not play a separate role in the criminal process. The prosecution of crime is considered to be the exclusive prerogative of the state, which acts in the interest of society as a whole. In these jurisdictions, the victim of of the crime does not have a legally recognized interest in criminal proceedings, but is referred to civil remedies to recover any damages that he or she may have suffered. There may also be other procedures in place to address the plight of victims of crimes outside of the criminal justice system, such as funds uh, that provide reparations to crime victims, and so on. In recent years, some of the uh, common law jurisdictions have also moved towards giving victims a stronger role in the criminal process, in particular by way of so-called victim impact statements at the sentencing phase. The review of the practice in different domestic jurisdictions indicate that it is essentially a question of legal policy, whether victims should be allowed to participate in criminal proceedings and what role they should play. Depending on their legal traditions, different countries have answered these questions differently and have developed balanced criminal justice systems that provide for varying degrees of victims participation. It is clear, however, that the participation of victims in criminal proceedings will have repercussions on the procedure more generally. The introduction of a victim as a third participant, in addition to the accused person and the prosecution, means that the interests of all three participants will have to be balanced properly. And this brings me to the International dimension of the question of victims' participation, international human rights law. All fundamental human rights instruments, the International Covenant of Civil and Political Rights of 1966, the European Convention on Human Rights of 1950, the American Convention on Human Rights of 1969, and the African Charter on Human and People's Rights of 1981 contain provisions on the right to a fair trial of any person facing criminal charges. These instruments are binding on states that provide for the participation of victims in criminal proceedings as well as on states that do not. An analysis of the relevant jurisprudence of international human rights bodies reveals that there has never been a case in which it was held that the participation of victims in criminal proceedings was mandatory from a human rights perspective nor has there ever been a decision finding that the participation of victims in a criminal trial as such would contravene the human right of the accused person to a fair trial in particular the requirement of an adversarial hearing which the European Court of Human Rights has derived, derived from the right to a fair trial does not require that there be only two parties to a criminal trial. A criminal trial can be uh, adversarial even if it is not bipolar. Therefore, international human rights law confirms that states have a large degree of discretion as to whether or not to allow victims to participate in criminal proceedings and uh, which exact role they should play. Another international aspect is worth mentioning when discussing the participation of victims in the proceedings before the ICC. In 1985, the General Assembly of the United Nations adopted the uh, Declaration of Basic Principles of Justice for Victims of Crime and Abuse of Power. This declaration, which is not a binding international treaty, stipulates measures that domestic jurisdictions should consider in order to enhance the role of victims of crimes in the judicial system. The Declaration of Basic Principles stipulates, for for instance, that victims should be informed of their rights and of the progress of the proceedings and uh, those measures should be taken to protect their privacy. All of these proposed measures are relatively uh, general in nature, which is not surprising given that they are meant to guide uh, criminal jurisdictions of all traditions. Nevertheless, the Rome Statute was heavily influenced by the Declaration of Basic Principles. The central provision on participation of uh, victims under the Rome Statute is Article 68, Paragraph 3. It reads as follows, I quote, where the personal interests of the victims are affected, the court shall permit their views and concerns to be presented and considered at stages of proceedings determined to be appropriate by the court and in a manner which is not prejudicial to the right of the accused and a fair and impartial trial, the end of the quote. The language of Article 68, paragraph three of the statute was based on the basic principle 6b of the declaration of basic principles this also explains why the language of the article 68 paragraph 3 is relatively vague when basic principle 6b was drafted it was not meant to apply as a hard and fast procedural rule, but as a guiding principle that would require further development and implementation in each jurisdiction. At the Rome Conference, such elaboration proved to be impossible, given that the participation of victims generally was a bone of contention. The Declaration of Basic Principles, however, had already been agreed upon in 1985 and therefore could serve as a compromise solution. If one analyzes Article 68, Paragraph 3 of the statute, the following becomes apparent. One, only victims may participate under this particular provision. Two, participation is only possible if the personal interests of the victims are affected. Three, participation takes the form of the expression of views and concerns. And four, the manner of participation must not be prejudicial to the rights of the accused person. Following the adoption of the Rome Statute, it was evident that the provisions on the participation of victims would require further precision in at least three respects. One, the question of who should be considered a victim would have to be addressed. Two, the application procedure would have to be regulated. And three, the specific participatory rights of victims would require attention. The rules of procedure and evidence contain provisions in all three respects. First of all, Article 68, Paragraph 3 was complemented by Rule 85 of the Rules of Procedure and Evidence, which defines who should be considered the victim for the purpose of the Rome Statute. The rule contains two sub-rules. Sub-rule A states that victims are natural persons who have suffered harm as a result of the commission of any crime within the jurisdiction of the court. Therefore, victim status is, as one would have expected, is linked to the commission of genocide, crimes against humanity, war crimes, and potentially the crime of aggression. The harm suffered by the victim must be a consequence of uh, the commission of such a crime. Thus far, most aspects of this definition have proved, uh, proved to be relatively straightforward. Nevertheless, if one considers the vast jurisprudence worldwide regarding, for example, causation in tort's law or the fact that the notion of harm is not further defined in Rule 85, it is likely that certain issues will have to be clarified through jurisprudence. For example, in its judgment of the eleventh of july two thousand eight, in the case of Mr. Lubanga Dilo, my appeals chamber explained that harm under the Rule eighty five A may include material, physical and Psychological harm. The Appeals Chamber emphasized, however, that the harm suffered must be personal to the victim. This does not exclude that persons are recognized as victims, even though they were not the direct object of a crime. In the words of the Appeals uh, Chamber, I quote, harm suffered by one victim as a result of the commission of a crime within the jurisdiction of the court can give rise to harm suffered by other victims. The end of the quote. For instance, it is conceivable that the parents of a child soldier suffer harm as a result of a crime committed against their son or daughter. Subrule 85B contains a definition for victims who are not natural persons, but organizations or institutions which have suffered direct harm to their property dedicated to religion art education or other charitable and humanitarian purposes it remains to be seen how this provision will come into play in the future it is generally important to remember that rule 85 provides only a generic definition of the term victim. It therefore addresses only one aspect of Article 68, Paragraph 3 of the statute on the participation of victims. In order to participate in proceedings, further conditions must be met. Let me now turn to the application procedure for victims wishing to participate in proceedings before the ICC. The central provision regulating this procedure is Rule 89 of the Rules of Procedure and Evidence. Victims have to file their applications for participation with the registrar of the court who will transmit them to the relevant chamber. The chamber will then decide whether and how the applicants may participate in the proceedings. The Rule 89, Paragraph 2 indicates that there is a direct link between that rule and Article 68, Paragraph 3. A chamber may reject an application for participation, if it finds that the applicant is not a victim, or if the conditions stipulated in Article 68, Paragraph 3 are otherwise not fulfilled. Therefore, while Rule 89 provides for the procedural avenue to facilitate victim's participation, The substantive criteria are to be found in the statute itself. The procedure established in Rule 89 is further detailed in the regulations of the court, which provide, for example, for standard forms that victims should use when making an application for participation. The regulations of the court also further streamlines the application procedure in respect of trial and appellate proceedings. Pursuant to uh, the regulation 86, paragraph 3, victims shall, to the extent possible, submit their applications before the start of the phase of the proceedings in which they wish to participate. This is an important provision because it uh, concentrates the application process. The aim is to ensure that it is clear who may participate in the trial before that trial commences. It is in this context that the Appeals Chamber overruled a decision of the Trial Chamber 1 regarding participatory rights in the case of Mr. Lubanga Lubangadillo. In its decision on victim's participation of the 18th January 2008, the Trial Chamber had found that potentially, Any victim may participate in the trial proceedings as long as his or her personal interests are affected by the trial. The chamber did not require that the victims be linked to the charges leveled against uh, the accused person. The trial chamber found support uh, for this approach in the fact that Rule 85 of of the Rules of Procedure and Evidence does not require such a link, but only that the victim has suffered as a result of the commission of any crime. The Appeals Chamber did not agree with the Trial Chamber for the following reasons. The Trial Chamber's decision related to the application procedure prior to the commencement of the trial in order to determine who may participate in the proceedings. As stated before, the rules of procedure and evidence and the regulations of the uh, court favor such an approach for reasons of procedural economy. However. A chamber If a chamber decides on applications under rule 89 for the purpose of participation at trial, it has to apply not only rule 85 regarding the definition of the term victim but also the other criteria of article 68 paragraph three which have to be seen in the context of the proceedings in which participation is sought. As will be seen in particular, the personal interests criterion is of great importance. When deciding on applications by victims under Rule 89, prior to the commencement of a trial, the trial chamber is faced with the predicament. The trial has not started yet, and it is not clear what exactly will be discussed at the hearing. Only one prediction can be made with certainty. The incidents that are covered by the charges leveled against the accused person will be subject of the trial. Therefore, the Chamber will also be able to anticipate that the personal interests of the victims who have suffered harm as a result of these incidents will be affected by the trial. In respect of victims who are not linked to the charges, such a prediction cannot be made. It is doubtful whether in the course of the trial uh, issues uh, may arise that could affect their personal interest. This is unlikely given that the trial should focus on the incidents for which the person is standing trial. The purpose of a trial before the ICC is to establish the facts regarding the crimes charged, but not to engage uh, generally in fact finding unrelated to the charges. Therefore, participation in a trial pursuant to Rule 89, must be limited to victims who are linked to the charges. Should, however, in the course of the trial, a situation arise in which the the trial chamber wishes to hear the views of other victims, that is, uh, victims who are not linked to the charges, The rules of procedure and evidence provide for a procedural avenue to facilitate such participation. Pursuant to the second sentence of the Rule 93, the chamber may seek the views of such other victims. This may lead to significant participation of victims who otherwise would not be allowed to participate in the proceedings. But it should not be overlooked that participation under Rule 93 differs substantially from participation under Rule 89. While in the latter case, participation is a right afforded to victims by virtue of Article 68, Paragraph 3 of the statute, participation under Rule 93 is discretionary. It is up to the chamber to seek the views of other victims or not, not to do so. Clearly, in the exercise of its discretion, the chamber will be guided by the criteria of Article 68, Paragraph 3, but one may predict that such participation will nevertheless be very rare given that there is a potential tension with the right of the accused person to be tried without undue delay if matters are discussed at trial that have, strictly speaking, nothing to do with his or her guilt or innocence. Let me now touch upon another aspect of victim's participation, namely the mode of participation in the proceedings. The Rome Statute only states that victims have the right to voice their views and concerns and emphasizes that the manner in which the views and concerns are voiced may not be prejudiced, prejudicial to the rights of the accused person. The rules of procedure and evidence provide further elaboration on the manner of participation. In particular, Rule 91 stipulates certain rules for the participation of legal representatives of victims at trial, for example, regarding the questioning of witnesses. Nevertheless, the chambers of the court are vested with much discretion as to the concrete manner of participation of victims. Rule 89 provides that the chamber shall decide on the manner of participation. When making such a decision, a chamber will take into account the specificities of the case, such as the uh, number and kind of primes with which the accused person is charged, and also the number of victims who wish to participate. Participation of victims should not uh, paralyze the proceedings. It is therefore conceivable that victims may be given different participatory rights if the charges cover large numbers of crimes than Uh, if only few incidents with relatively small numbers of victims are the object of a trial. When deciding on the participation of victims, the chamber will have to exercise their discretion carefully in order to ensure that the interests of victims in meaningful participation are properly Balanced with other interests, in particular, the need for a speedy trial. It is important to bear the discretionary character of the decision on the manner of a participation in mind when considering a question deciding, decided by the appeals chamber in the judgment of the eleventh of July. 2008, in the case of Mr. Lubangadillo. The trial chamber had decided that for the purpose of the trial of Mr. Lubangadillo, participating victims would be allowed to make applications to the chamber to be granted leave to present evidence themselves in the course of the trial. The trial chamber would then render a decision on such applications, either granting or denying the victim the right to present a particular piece of evidence. The Appeals Chamber decided by majority that such a manner of participation is not per se uh, incompatible with the statute. The procedure envisaged by the Trial Chamber ensures that the Chamber will always have sufficient control over the presentation of evidence by victims and therefore will be able to ensure the fairness of the proceedings and respect for the rights of the accused person. The Trial Chamber will also uh, be able to determine at what point in time of the proceedings, evidence may be led by victims, thereby thereby avoiding, avoiding that the presentation of evidence by victims would disrupt the trial. It is important to note, however, that the manner of participation envisaged by the Trial Chamber is only one possibility. Other Trial Chambers may follow this example or may find that such manner of participation would be inappropriate for the particular case at hand. Therefore, the endorsement by the Appeals Chamber of the manner of participation envisaged by the Trial Chamber in the case of Mr. Lubanga Lubangadillo does not mean that all other Trial Chambers in the future would also have to grant similar rights to victims, irrespective of the specific circumstances of the case. I should also mention that The minority of the Appeals Chamber in this particular case came to the conclusion that the manner of participation envisaged by the Trial Chamber did not comply with the statute. In their view, the presentation of evidence must always be limited to the parties, namely the prosecutor and the accused person. Article 68, Paragraph 3 of the statute is the principle, but not the only uh, provision on victims' participation at the International Criminal uh, Court. Among the other uh, provisions, Articles 15, Paragraph 3 and 19, Paragraph three of the statute are worth mentioning. These provisions stipulate that victims may make representations or observations in respect of an application of the prosecutor to open an investigation on his own motion. And in respect of proceedings concerning jurisdiction, and admissibility. Such proceedings are particularly important and it is therefore understandable that the statute expressly recognizes the right of victims to participate in such proceedings. In addition to uh, active participatory rights, The Rules of Procedure and Evidence also provide for a relatively broad right to notification. The Registrar is under an obligation to inform victims of what is going on in respect of the proceedings. Rules 50 and 92 are examples of such notification rights. The right to notification ensures, on the other hand, that victims can make effective use of their right to express their views and concerns as they will be made aware of proceedings that might affect their personal interest. On the other hand, notification can also be seen as an end in itself. By informing victims of the development, they, may, uh, they are made part of the criminal process. It is for that reason that the 1985 Declaration of Basic Principles emphasizes not only active participatory rights of victims, but also the right to information. The ICC's rules of procedure and evidence follow this particular example. As we have seen, the question of victims' participation in proceedings before the ICC holds Many interesting and challenging questions. A key to the success of court's scheme of victim's participation is its flexibility, which takes into account that the chambers of of the court will be faced with cases of diverse nature and extent. The court, therefore, is not bound by procedural rigidity, but may find appropriate solutions on a case-by-case basis. The fact that international criminal justice has developed toward more victims' participation may also be explained with the notion of restorative uh, justice, which has gained more and more support over the last decades. Restorative justice aims not only at judging and sentencing criminals, it also seeks to offer justice to victims. In other words, the purpose of restorative justice is victims' healing and uh, rehabilitation. Allowing victims the right to participate in in the trial is fully in line with this approach. By doing so, victims become a subject in the proceedings and are not limited to the role of witnesses. It is my strong belief that The scheme of uh, participation provided for by the statute and the rules of procedure and evidence is apt to fulfill the expectations placed in it and to do justice to the interests of victims without compromising the rights of the accused person. I thank you for your attention.